On this episode, he looked at me, smiled, and all of a sudden I was back in that room. And, you know, it just everything felt different. I ran out of that room, ran to my youth pastor, and he just said, You saw God. He said, You met with God. And I said, How'd you know? And he said, Because you look different. You're glowing. And I started looking at people. Um, there was a couple of people in the youth group that I literally wanted to kill. And I looked at them, and my first thought was, I love these guys. I, I just felt this affection, this love. My, you know, God took a heart of stone and made it into a heart of flesh, literally. And, and my life was forever changed. Hey, everyone. This is Daniel Black, and you're listening to Where Love Always Wins. I pray that this podcast serves as a signpost for God's goodness for you. Through these amazing stories, I hope you see that God is good. And he's fighting for you, even if you don't feel it or see it. No matter what your circumstances might be, I truly believe that his love will win in your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Where Love Always Wins. Uh, So delighted to have you join us today. And I am joined by my really good friend, Tony Kim, today. Um, so good to have you, Tony. So great to be on here. Love you, and just so uh, just honored to run with you. Oh, it's such a joy. So, for those of you who have no clue who Tony Kim is, Tony is the lead pastor at Renaissance Church in Bakersfield, California. Uh, he's also the founder of uh, uh, Roar. Uh, Roar Collective, Rorco for short, and uh, he also is the executive director for HIM Global. Um, and uh, I have just fallen in love with Tony over the years. We've been quite a f- uh, quite a few years now. We've been good friends and wow. been running together. Um, uh, we met uh, through a mutual friend at a conference up in Reading years ago, and uh, have just been good friends ever since then. And uh, I really love getting to build this thing called ROAR. What does ROAR like stand for, Tony? Yeah, ROAR uh, stands for Renaissance of Arising Reformers. Come on. And I believe that there's a generation and a company of people that God is raising up for such a time as this to roar over cities and nations to see an entire shift where we could actually walk out the mandate and the mission that Jesus gave us, which is to make disciples of nations. And, and so, um, you know, the Lord told me, I want you to gather the lions and lionesses together for you to roar together and, uh, you know, to run together as a tribe, as a community and to support one another and fight for each other's dreams. And, and there's a whole prophetic story behind all that, a journey with the Holy spirit. I fought the Lord from doing it because it sounded like a lot of work. And to be frank, there's a lot of great networks and movements out there uh, Mm -hmm. that I'm a part of. And I thought, why should I start one when I'm a part of all these great ones? Um, But the Lord confirmed it. And I just said, yes, reluctantly, to be honest. Um, And it's, it's amazing how God's bringing leaders together from all over the world. Mm, Come on. And it, 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 it's really, it's true. He is bringing together his, 
is reformers from all across the world. You guys have a mission of raising up 2 million reformers. We and do. That's, that's an insane amount of people. I, I think we could see a, a true reformation in the world if we saw at least that many people say, let's stand up and see a society change and transform for God's kingdom. At least, right? Jesus did it with 12. He did it with 12, right? <laughs> so so maybe if two, two million true reformers arose, maybe we could actually do something. Come on. Come on. It's exciting. Now, Tony, you have an incredible story. Um, I love your journey. I love your story. Can you tell us a bit about your background growing up and, you know, some of the things you were involved with growing up and how that led you to meeting Jesus? Um, yeah. Can you just tell us a bit about that in your journey? Yeah. You know, um, just going back, just to let everyone know a little history of my family. My father was born in Hiroshima. Um, they they moved to Japan during the Korean War wow. um, to you know just survive, work, do those things. So my dad was born there. Um, he was there when the bomb dropped. He's there were survivors of that. Uh, my mom was born in northern uh, Korea at the time. It was one Korea. They're retreating from the northern regime um, down south. Uh, her father was killed. Her sister was captured, and but they were able to escape. Uh, south. Um, and so from there, fast forward, they, my parents get married. They were a setup, uh, arranged marriage. Oh, wow. They never saw each other until the day of their wedding. And uh, thank God that that doesn't happen today. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so it takes a lot of faith to say yes to that. You, you never know what you're going to get, right? <laughs> you never know. Uh, you never know. And uh, then my dad moved over to the States, landed in California, and then a couple of years later, brought my mom over. Uh, so they landed in Northern California. So I grew up in that culture. And because of where my parents came from, the religions that we had embedded within our culture was Buddhism mm. and Shintoism. Oh, really? Um, so we had the Japanese and Korean uh, you know, primary religions in our family. Not only that, we had a lot of spiritualists in our family history. And in light of all that, um, you know, just growing up, obviously, we would go to the temple, you know, once in a while, not often. So I wouldn't say they were practicing Buddhists in that sense, mm. but they would still burn incense and things like that uh, in the home. And we would go do ancestral spiritual worship, you know, which uh, is, you know, quite prevalent within the Asian culture. And so I remember us doing that, going to uh, the cemetery in Los Gatos, California, mm. you know, in Santa Clara, California, and, you know, areas going, bowing down and bringing amazing food to the cemetery, you know, to the cemetery and putting it around the tombstone and inviting the spirits to come and eat and things. And after we're done bowing down and, you know, kind of summoning and, worshiping our ancestral spirits uh, they would grab the food and say they came and ate let's go and i always wondered no one came and ate why do they keep saying you know they they came and they loved the food you know i just thought that's the wackiest <laughs> thing in the world and and but while they were doing all the you know rituals i would go and pick the food yeah. and start eating the food you know so i, I was i was like the only one that ever ate yeah. and i'm like yeah. yep i came and ate all right and it was good <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
And they would have good food, Daniel. They would have like bulgogi, you know, they would have galbi, yeah. you know, Korean barbecue stuff yeah. around. They would have the bean sprouts, the spinach, the kim- you know, I mean, like they, it was a spread. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and so, but just through that, I would ask questions like, what, what are you guys talking about? And in the Asian culture, as you know, uh, for those of you know people who are familiar with Asian, you don't ask questions. Yeah. But I was the one that would always raise questions and I would always get in trouble. Hmm. Um, but through that, uh, my mom got sick, you know, when I was young hmm. and doctors couldn't figure out what was going on with her. She was breaking out in boils down her, in her mouth, down her throat, and they just couldn't figure it out. And one evening her friend says, you need to go to church with me. Hmm. And so out of desperation, because she was in so much pain, she went. And I remember her taking me and uh, it was just this big building. People, it was packed. It was a packed house and, and just a lot of emotional, just expressions of worship and all these things. And the speaker goes up and speaks. And I remember at the end there, he started moving in words of knowledge Mm. and, and he just said, there's someone on my right side of the building. You're a lady. You're struggling with this. You have this. And and he he just declared the healing and um, the power in the name of uh, Jesus. And then my mom, just the presence of God, the fire of God hit my mom's body. And she was instantaneously healed. The pain left, everything. And so she went up to testify her healing. But that night, she also gave her life to Jesus. Mm. And so she became the first Christian in our family lineage and history on either side. And uh, so she was up there, brought my brother and I up there with her and testified. And there's this man, you know, he laid hands on her, blessed her, laid hands on me. And, you know, just, just said that the Lord's going to use this young man, you know, um, to preach the gospel to the world and all these things. And, um, and this guy's name was Dr. Yungi Cho. Wow. And who's who just recently went home, graduated to be, you know, to be with the Lord. And, and so through that, my mom just became an on fire Christian. She came home and told the entire family that she got healed, that Jesus healed her. They thought she went crazy. (laughs) And, and she said, I'll prove it to you. They said, prove it. So she grabbed a bottle of kimchi and started eating kimchi in front of them with no pain. Wow. The marks in her tongue, on her tongue, her mouth and everything was still there. But wow. she had no pain. And, and you know, the Lord healed her of all that. And so they thought she just went, they thought she went crazy, you know, and they told her that. And they, they weren't too happy either because she became a Christian. And so uh, she received a lot of suffering in terms of, you know, what took place because of that. And so she really, you know, went through sacrificing to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but. During that time, I did not follow Jesus. I, I wasn't aware of anything. I wasn't really understanding. But all I know is I was really angry because there was just a lot of abuse. Uh, we lived in poverty in that sense of, um, you know, we did dumpster die for food for years. Um, you know, so I know what it means to have nothing yeah. in that sense. You know, fighting rats, fighting splinter, you know, from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for food, you know. and. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and through that, I was just an angry young man. Mm. Um, and, and so then I started getting involved with the wrong crowd, the wrong friends. Mm. Um, by the time I was in fifth grade, I was with friends with all these just kids who were addicted to drugs already. 
yeah. you know, in fifth grade, you know, um, involved with gangs and all this stuff. So I started getting, I started dabbling and all that got involved. Um, I, I never got involved as heavy as any of my friends did, but I was, I was right there with them, you know, and, and then, uh, through junior high school. And meanwhile, my mom was taking us to church every week. Wow. You know, we're, we're every, you know, just weekly faithful, uh, church attenders. And I, I'm still, you know, I'm still a proponent of people attending church, you know, um, more than attending church, but being the church and going to church to gather together, you know, in that sense. And, and just to clarify that statement, I'm not the church, you know, we are the church, we are the church, you know, so we together are the church, but me as an individual, I'm not the church. Right. And, and so then through that, my mom would take us, you know, send us to youth camp every year. She would save save up money all year just to send us to youth camp. Mm. And I remember going into eighth grade, um, my mom, you know, just again, we, we hardly got gifts because we, my parents didn't have the money. They did the best they could to provide as much as possible, which they did. I mean, they're the sacrifices they made, but I graduated eighth grade miraculously. Yeah. Um, I was almost a junior high dropout and I graduated. My mom said, I have a gift for you. I'm sending you to camp. Hmm. And so long story short, I ended up going to this camp. It was up at prayer mountain. And I was furious. <laughs> I was I was just angry. I just thought she set me up. She manipulated <laughs> me, deceived me. And now I'm stuck at this prayer mountain, you know, and, and I was familiar with that place because my mom went there often. Wow. To wow. fast and pray. And she would take us with her. That's crazy. And it was the most boring place you've ever been to, Daniel. And 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 you told me when you told the story before that they were making everybody fast. Yeah, this retreat. It was so there was <laughs> I, I there was like a hundred of us or something in this. It was like a junior high camp. It's insane. You know? And and the schedule was we fasted three nights. And for three days we fasted and prayed. That's all we did. We woke up at five o'clock in the morning, prayed for two hours, and then we got ready. And then we literally drank our liquid or water, had worship service, had group time, had more prayer, drank our lunch, got together, had group time. And then we went and had our free time in the afternoon, which <laughs> wasn't free time. They literally meant go pray somewhere, anywhere on the Paramount. <laughs> you're free to pray anywhere you want. <laughs> so, and all I did was throw rocks in the forest because I was a baseball player and I just, mm-hmm. I was so bored out of my mind. <laughs> right. And, and then they would have evening service and they would end the evening after service in a couple hours of prayer. And that was, you know, that was three nights, four days, really. Right. <laughs> really three nights, but man, it was, it was painful. And uh, and I remember the first night just going to bed angry, starving. Yeah, I was malnutrition, Daniel. <laughs> it's child abuse, man. I, I was it was abuse. <laughs> I was bloating because of the malnutrition. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember falling asleep with my just stomach growling. Yeah, yeah. Right, and I woke up with this nightmare, and I went to my youth pastor. I said I had a nightmare. And he said, what was it? You know, and I, I was tormented at night, you know, demonic mm-hmm. nightmares. And just, I would wake up with scratches on my body, uh-huh. um, you know, just in places where I couldn't reach on my back and things. So it was very, it was really demonic. Mm. And so he thought it was one of those. 
So he said, what, was there another demon chasing you? What, what was it? And I said, no, there was no demon in this one. He said, what was, what was happening? And I said, I was, I was in a big auditorium preaching the gospel. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to be poor for the rest of my life. If this is real, I don't even believe in Jesus. Why should I be preaching? I said, this is not, I said, I'm going to be a professional athlete. I'm not going to do any of this stuff. Yeah. And, and I looked at him and I said, I don't want to live like you broken down car, a house so small I could put in my pocket, you know, eating ramen every day. I said, forget that, <laughs> you know, and, and he just looked at me and said, I knew you were called. Wow. And he smiled and walked away. And I was so mad when he said that. <laughs> and, and then we went through the second day of what we would call today spiritual abuse. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, we, I mean, that was spiritual discipline back then. You yeah. know, now we call that spiritual abuse. And then we wonder why a generation is not walking in power. Wow. You know, um, but back to my story. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Good point. And, uh, Good point. And, and so then that night, you know, I went, I, you know, before I went to bed, I couldn't shake that dream all day. It haunted me all day. Uh, so, you know, my joke is God haunted me all day that day. <laughs> and uh, I just said, okay, God, if you're real, which I don't think you are, I dare you to give me another dream. So I went uh, to bed, woke up with another dream. Except in this dream, it was a continuation of the night before where I was preaching the gospel and it was in a stadium type wow. crusade type environment. I don't know what it was back then, but now I know it was a crusade type environment. Wow. And I was preaching and people started running forward from an altar call. People started throwing crutches up on a stage. People started getting out of wheelchairs in the dream. Hmm. And I woke up just completely in shock and, and just wrestling going i this can't be real this this can't be what god's calling me to mm. i don't even i don't even believe in jesus yeah you know and so you know so i'm now wrestling through all this throughout the whole day um we go through another day in the afternoon i walked into one of the prayers prayer rooms at the prayer mountain and uh, i just said okay god you know what if you're real let's talk mm. and i just began talking to him i just said okay god if you're real what did I ever do to you for, for us to live like this? Mm -hmm. And what did I ever do to you for me to get, you know, physically abused, sexually abused, um, you know, just all, all kinds of just, you know, trauma stuff that I went through as a child. I said, what did I do to you? Mm. You know, if you're a God, you're not a good God, you're an evil God, you know, and I just started mm. saying all these things. And I said, if you're real, I dare you to show up in my room. Cause I want to fight him. You know, <laughs> I want to fight God. Wow. And, wow. and I just said, okay, God, I dare you to show up in my room. Mm. You know, I don't want to hear about you, talk about you, but I genuinely from my heart want to know if he was real. Yeah. And, and I, and I just said, you know what? You showed yourself to, to Saul on the road to Damascus. I, I dare you to show yourself to me. Wow. Uh, I want to see you. And right when I said that, all of a sudden things began changing. The air around me, the atmosphere around me started changing. All of a sudden, the room that I was in, it just melted like wax. That's the only way I could describe it. it everything just kind of melted like wax hmm. around me. And I was in a different dimension. It wasn't a mind's eye vision. It wasn't a picture of my head. It wasn't something I felt or sensed. I was there. Yeah. You know, and everything was so real. And I saw this man in a figure of light walking towards me and I fell on my face 
And my first thing I thought was God is real. Wow. And my second thought was God's going to kill me (laughs) because I kind of grew up with this thought of God is evil. He's, he's a punishing God. He is, you know, just one of these, you know, just, I didn't understand the concept of a loving father. And even though my dad did his best uh, to love us, you know, we just didn't have that experience. And through all that, he walked up to me and the more closer he got, I felt his presence for the first time in my life. And the closer he got, I could feel him standing right in front of me as I was on my face. And this anger and this rage just, just melted away in that moment. And just without using words, we were communicating spirit to spirit. And he said, get up and look into my eyes. I was scared. Um, Literally, I thought I was going to die. And I felt his presence. I felt just everything about him around me. And I thought, if I saw him, I'm going to die. But I reluctantly stood up, got, I looked into his eyes and it was just fiery blue eyes. And the only way I could explain it was, it was just everlasting love in his eyes of eternity. And I just broke and I just wept and wept and wept. And he just, he looked at me and he said, Tony, follow me. And I looked at him. I nodded. Yes. I didn't even say it out loud. I just, in my heart, it was just a, it was almost just like a shout of a yes in my heart. Mm. He looked at me, smiled. And all of a sudden I was back in that room and I felt different. I, you know, it's everything felt different. I ran out of that room, ran to my youth pastor. And he just said, you saw God. He said, you met with God. And I said, how'd you know? And he said, cause you look different. You're glowing. And I started looking at people and I, all of a sudden I had this love for them that I never had. Um, there was a couple of people in the youth group that I literally wanted to kill wow. that I wanted to with my, uh, just the you know, gang that I was running around with. And I looked at them and my first thought was, why did I want to kill them? Wow. I love these guys. I, I just felt this affection, this love. My, you know, God took a heart of stone and made it into a heart of flesh, literally. And, and my life was forever changed from that day. Not to say that I didn't have struggles and things that I needed to overcome. Some things I was delivered from immediately. And there are some things that I had to fight with God to get out of. Wow. Wow. You know, I remember you, you had shared something, you know, and and it it can be common in the Christian world. You know, people say, I seen Jesus. I seen Jesus. And something I remember you had said a long time ago to me, was, you know, you can always tell if someone's really encountered Jesus, if they've really seen Jesus, they've really been to heaven, right? You just look at their life. Yeah. Is there change? Mm-hmm. And and so I just, I love that dynamic. Could you speak into that dynamic just for a moment of like, just one look in his eyes actually can bring transformation into Absolutely. your life. And what, what, what could be possible? Yeah, you know, when when I looked into his eyes, you know, we say that often now. It's almost a cliche, right? Just one glimpse of his face will change a life forever. Well, that happened to me. Mm-hmm. So it's not a cliche. It's the truth. Yeah. Um, and and the reality is when when you look into his eyes, 
and you're spending time with Jesus, let's let's not make it even as sensational as we're making it. Let's just say we're just taking a moment out of our time throughout a day yeah. to just spend some time with Jesus. Yeah. Right. Because whether we see him or not, the reality is he's there anyways. Yeah. Right. And and so within that context, you know, I realize as much as we say I spend time with Jesus, you know, from that moment, I realize it's impossible for us to spend time with Jesus and not walk away changed. Mm. It's impossible to look into the eyes of Jesus and still walk away hating my brother and sister. Mm. Um, it's impossible because that's the power of his presence. Yeah. And, and so to me, it's, it's not just being there, but connecting with him. Mm. Once you connect with him, then you'll never be the same. Wow. And, and this is something that I, you know, realize it's just, I hear people, I remember someone came to me, I spent four hours with Jesus yesterday and I saw him, he came into my room and I said, no, you didn't. And a person was so offended and a person, what do you mean? You can't judge my, I said, yes, I can. And the person said, how, how can you? And I said, do you still hate this person that you hated before you came and went into that room with Jesus? Mm. Well, what's the point? <laughs> Right? That's what the person is saying. What's your point? <laughs> I said, well, that's my point. I said, I don't know if, uh, I don't know, maybe, you know, I'm being too extreme with this, but when I saw Jesus, the person and the people, I literally wanted to harm and kill, murder. That all, I, I saw them with a new set of eyes. And there was a love there that I didn't, I couldn't fabricate it if I wanted to. And I just see that's, that's the power and the transforming power of the very essence and person of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wouldn't you say that's what we need more of in this hour? I mean, like, especially if we're going to say we're Christ followers, um, no matter where you're at listening in the world, right? Like if you're going to say I'm a Christ follower, then I need to actually be spending time beholding him, whether, you know, physically or, or just because there's too many in the church right now. There's too many that say that they're Christ followers, but they hate their enemy. Um, There's, there's too many that are actually contemplating, how can I get back at my enemy rather Mm -hmm. than how do I love my enemies? And that's, that's the beauty of the transformation you just shared is like beholding him set a different course trajectory that enabled you suddenly without you even happening to try. It was just the fruit of the encounter with the ability to be able to love your enemy, the ability to be able to love someone that you literally wanted to murder. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, mean, we're not like talking about like, I no, you actually wanted to murder this person. Mm Mm-hmm. And just, just actually in that moment of beholding him as he is. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, I remember, you know, we're, we live in a culture where everything is so transactional. Mm. Um, everything's so functional. Yeah. Um, we really lost the art of being relational. Mm. And, and this whole thing of being a follower of Jesus is relational. Yeah. You know, if we understand discipleship, that's who we are. 
um, disciples had very close relational dynamics with their rabbi. Yes. Right. I mean, they, they did everything together. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think we need to get back into being relational people, which means this, we need to learn to become human again. Mm. Um, and, and I remember, I mean, as far as being transactional and functional, I, I mean, I'm probably as extreme as you get, yeah. right? In terms of who I am and uh, in my, the way that I used to function, I had no relational bone in my body. Mm. Uh, and my wife's the one that taught me, you know, she would say, you're using that person. Oh, you're using God. You're just using, you know, and I'm like, what are you talking about? I look back now and she was right. Mm. And I remember one time I was just, it was, I was struggling um, it was in my early twenties and, and I was just burning out. I was, I had, I was taking literally 28 units a quarter full-time college and I was a full-time on staff at a church, yeah. you know, and I was just burning. And I just said, God, you know, I was just talking to him and he said one thing that forever changed my life. He said, Tony, don't you know that I want to love you more than I want to use you? Wow. And I thought, what? Mm-hmm. And he said, Tony, I want to love you more than I want to use you. You're saying, use me, use me. He said, I just want to love you. And that took a long time for me to actually understand. I wish I got it right then. But I think we find our significance in what we do mm-hmm. rather than who we are. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that God relates to us is based upon who we are, that we're created out of his image. And, and once we get that, everything else is a byproduct. Mm. And so to me, what I say is relationship is primary. Everything else is derivative. And I do my best to live, live out this way. Mm. Um, I fail miserably at it, you know, day to day, but this is, this is, this is something that I strive for. Yeah. Yeah. And, And so vitally important. Because, yeah, I mean, like, like Jesus didn't die for you to be able to just go do something, right? He died for you to be able to be with him. It's, it's John right. 17, you know, in the first couple of verses where it says, this is eternal life. Not that you go do something great for God, right? But no, this is eternal life that you know God and the one whom he sent. Like, like that's eternity. That's what it's all about. Like he died that you would know him. He died that you would walk with him. He died that you would journey with him in life and through death that's and right. into eternity. Right. Like it's all about that relational connection that you're talking about, but equally it does change us and transform us Absolutely. and set us on a different trajectory. And, and that's the beauty of your story is you went from being someone that was meddling in drugs and gangs and thinking about murdering people in your youth group uh, to, <laughs> to, to actually being someone that is making a difference in this world and making an impact in society and raising up a whole generation of people that would carry the mantle of being a reformer. And could you tell us, I mean, I mean, you know, we don't have, uh, you know, take maybe a few of these uh, conversations really give the full scope of the story, but could you just tell a little bit of the journey of how 
beholding him has set you on such a different trajectory for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things when you behold him, right, the saying is you behold him, you become like him. Yeah. And, but not only that, when you behold him, you, you get an impartation of his heart Mm. and, and, and you begin to feel and empathize of what's going around because what breaks his heart breaks your heart. Mm. And that's when I know that I'm too far from the Lord is when the things that break his heart doesn't break my heart, Mm. something's not in right alignment. Mm. And, and so through that, um, you know, when, when I moved to Bakersfield where we're living now, I just saw the level of poverty here Mm. and me growing up in poverty and, and seeing that I thought, you know what, I cannot just sit here, watch this and ignore it and just try for, try to do ministry. Yeah. Right. And, and so really the heart of God, just, I mean, I was captivated by the heart of God for my city and, and that led me into action. Mm. Um, I had to engage. I couldn't be this passive Christian just trying to build a church or ministry or my own name reputation or any of that anymore uh, by the way which I did for years and that's there's another encounter I had in 2005 that totally transformed me after this encounter but through that um, I, I started engaging I just started said okay God what can I do hmm. I can't do everything but what can I do and and that you know sometimes as leaders we think so macro we don't do anything. Yeah. You know, we get caught up in the ideology and just the dreaming factor. We get impressed with our own vision. Let's just put it that way. Okay. And, and which makes us not do anything. All we do is talk about it. Right. Wow. And we get enthralled with our own, really in our own deception, thinking we're doing something when we're really not. Mm. And, and so I just called mayor's office. Hello, my name's Tony Kim. I represent the churches in Bakersfield. And uh, like a meeting with the mayor, <laughs> I was 23 years old, Daniel. I was 23 turning 24. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Right. Actually, I was 24 at the time. And I just had a heart for my city. So I actually got an audience with the mayor. Wow. And, and, you know, so I met with them. They gave me like 15 minutes with them. And so I walked in and he goes, so you represent the churches in Bakersfield, do you? I mean, he knew, right? <laughs> He's like, how long have you lived here? I lived here for three months, sir. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> and, uh, and I just said, I said, you know, uh, I'm a Christian. Um, I'm part of a, I'm on staff with the church here. You know, what can we do to serve you? Mm. He, was a, he was a man of stature, respect, just a, just a great man, a large man. He just leaned back in his chair and then lean forward and he looked at me and he said i don't know how i'm, I'm supposed to answer that because i'm not sure if i've ever been asked that wow and then he said let me l- let me think about that so i walked out of there and he started opening doors meanwhile the lord put me in contact with some other seasoned leaders you know that that were actually on the same track mm. And, and so, you know, for me, I'm raw, yeah. you know, I, I'm new to this thing. And there's some leaders that he connected me to that took me under their wings. And we started just those three of us uh, that got together and doors started opening. 
And we found out the greatest need in uh, our city, in our county, actually, was single moms on welfare with at least three kids, with uh, felony records, with uh, recovering from drugs. Wow. And and so then we they said, can you do something about for these families? We said, yep. And then we went back and we're like, what do we do? Mm. Right. But the answer is always yes. Even though I don't know it, doesn't mean God doesn't know it. Come on. And so my answer is always yes. And then I go back and panic in prayer, <laughs> asking God for the solution. That and that's my secret, guys. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And and then we felt like He gave us a program, downloaded a program um, to serve these families. We did a pilot program. And it became really successful with the benchmarks and outcomes and indicators that we established from the pilot. And then, so then the following year, they said, what can you do with the hundred thousand dollars? We said, we'll serve a hundred families. So then we hit that mark and they were really impressed with the benchmarks again, the outcome. And then they said, what can you do with 250,000? What can you do with five? So each year they started giving us more and more funding to serve these families. And listen, we mobilized 111 churches the partner to say yes together to eradicate poverty within the families in our county. Wow. Uh, we mobilized 60 businesses to partner together for those who went through our job development program. Not that they would guarantee to hire them, but to guarantee that they would interview them, which is a wow. huge feat. We started a, a don't recycle reuse program for cars. We got cars donated and we mobilized mechanics to fix these cars for free wow. so that we can give to single moms who had no transportation to get uh, to and from work to get grocery stores. Um, and we just, and, and then not only that, we started plugging these families in the churches to find healthy communities, mm-hmm. you know, and there was discipled. We saw hundreds and hundreds of families come into the church yeah. uh, for the first time in their life. We had 153 life groups throughout our entire County at one time that I, that I was overseeing literally and these through these churches and partnerships, you know, and and so th- it it kind of bloomed into this, and and really it wasn't just because of us or me. It was really the body of Christ coming together for kingdom purpose, not just for a nucleus church purpose, but as the church coming together. I'm not again. I'm not degrading the church, but as a church coming together as the greater church mm. to really target something. And, and we saw just incredible life changes. Families that were divorced got back together. Mm-hmm. Uh, kids who were truant, getting uh, Ds, Fs, became A, Bs, and C students. We had people going to universities, which their family history has never gone to any college. And we just saw cycles of poverty broken mm-hmm. um, you know, within a community in the context of Jesus. Wow. And, and we literally saw transformation. And then the Lord said, Tony, if you know how to transform a family, you could transform a city. Mm. And that's when we just, and then from there, uh, we started targeting different cities. Um, and then I received open doors for me to present at the White House conference. Um, I started working with the faith-based office of the White House, started working with different governor's offices and different organizations um, to target uh, just the hardest to live in cities in America. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's a miracle. I mean, even this year, uh, I just got received a phone call saying, I received, you know, Tony, you've been awarded a presidential award. Wow. You know, and so they're going to be coming out over the next couple of months to present the presidential lifetime achievement award. Wow. Uh, I didn't ask for any of this. I just wanted to change a family's life in my city. Yeah. And if you could love the one, 
God will grow your capacity to love a city, hmm. to love a state and a nation. Wow. That's the beauty of your, your journey, Tony, is you, you start at this point where it, it all begins. It always begins beholding him. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of your story is, is the more you beheld him, the more you journeyed in his presence, just walking with him and journeying with Jesus, the more your heart was changed to actually reflect his heart. And his heart actually isn't that, you know, we just sing songs and, and read a book, right? His heart is right. actually that we would see transformation in nations. His heart is that we would see transformation in society. And that right. earth could look a bit more like heaven. And, and, and I, th- I think part of the reason why I even invited you on to our platform, onto our podcast, was because I feel like your story could inspire a whole generation of people. Mm. Your, your story can spark something in people that says there's something more than what I'm living for. And, mm. you, know, uh, you know, you went from you know, being a part of a gang to actually seeing transformation in your city to actually being recognized on a national level, you know, um, all because you just beheld Jesus. Yeah. I mean, like if we were to boil it down into the simplicity of that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, this was nothing that I asked for. Um, it wasn't anything that I was going to, if I do this, I'm going to get recognition. If sure. I, you know, And I think a lot of our faith heroes, all of them, I don't think they had this idea of, I want, when I die, I want generations to think about me <laughs> because I'm going to be written about. You know? yeah. but, you know, but a lot of times, because we've seen that in our generation, that becomes our target yeah. when that's just a byproduct. Yeah. And, and so for me, again, you know, just coming from this background, you know, you have listeners here, Daniel, that are a hundred thousand times smarter than me, hmm. way more educated than me. You know, just, I mean, they could blow me out of the waters, hmm. you know, and, and I'm just, this is kind of funny, but, and I'm not saying this to degrade myself, sure. negate myself, but the Lord told me, they said, he said, Tony, you're a one talent man. Hmm. And and I said, what? I was offended. I was mad. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean I'm a one-talent man? And he said, but, but he said, I'm so proud of you because you've turned that one talent and you've multiplied it. Wow. Listen, it doesn't matter what you start with. It matters what you do with what you have. And, and so you have people with such greater capacity than I ever could. Mm-hmm. But the question is, what are you doing for the businessman? Mm-hmm. The businesswoman, the person that has a heart to go into government, mm-hmm. a person that wants to plant a church, a plant person that wants to go to another nation to, you know, um, to do missions, people who want to go into media and arts and entertainment. I've been in all these worlds and I get continue to in, be invited into them. And, and the thing is, the question is really, where is Jesus going mm-hmm. and am I following him? Wow. And that's just been my life. That's amazing. Can you take a moment? And I just really feel like, could you, could you minister to people and specifically in the realm of like, just minister that beholding and becoming yeah. to, to, to people pray, 
prophesy, whatever it is, this is in your heart to do, but, but just, just, I really feel like, like if a generation could be captivated by Jesus in the way that you've been captivated by Jesus, you know, it, it'll change everything because we will want to multiply the little that he's given us and see it multiply, you know, a hundredfold over in every aspect of our life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just want to say this one thing before I pray is we all experience Jesus in different ways. Yeah. And my story is not more powerful than your story. If it leads to Jesus, they're all equally powerful. Mm. Um, Many of the great reformers encountered and beheld Jesus through the word of God. Yeah. Some beheld Jesus through prayer. Some beheld Jesus through just sitting quietly and meditating. You know, there's very, some uh, beheld Jesus through worship, you know, as we're accustomed to. So don't limit Jesus in a way uh, that it happens to someone else because he has a unique relationship with you. And at the end of the day, it all leads to Jesus anyways. And, and so I just wanted to make that statement and remark for the listener so that they understand that their encounter, just even as they're driving and Lord speaks a couple words to them, is just as powerful as Jesus walked into my room because everything's from him. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's nothing, there's no superiority or elitism when it comes to beholding Jesus or encountering him. The thing is, I just want to encounter him. Come on. Right? And so, Father, I pray for the listener right now. God, that you would stir a hunger within them for more of you. Lord, that there would be a relentless pursuit and zeal, God, within their own spirit, within their hearts, in their lifestyle. God, that when it's all said and it's more about you. And just put your hand on your heart right now, just in this moment. God, I pray right now that you would encounter every person in their special way, in the way that you meet with them. And God, that you would transform this person, that God would transform you by the transform you by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12, 2. That you would see his face. And as Isaiah 6 says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Then he heard, I pray, God, that you would open up eyes to see and then open up ears to hear. And, Lord, I pray for encounter, not as a moment, but, Lord, that we would live an encounter as a lifestyle. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, so powerful. Thank you so much, Tony. Now, I know that people are listening their curiosities peaked. I want to become a reformer. You you actually have a school that people can check out. Can you tell us a bit about uh, the the Roar Academy? Absolutely. Roar Academy was birthed uh, eight years ago, and uh, it is now a global online school. And our goal is to raise up two million reformers. And the Lord spoke to me and said that He's bringing out the best of the best. And not just bringing them into the pulpits of the church, but he has a pulpit with everyone's name on it in all the spheres of society. And so the school's about really uh, equipping the everyday reformer 
in the world that God's put him into to translate the kingdom and manifest his power and glory wherever they go, whether it's in church, whether it's in um, business, government, um, media, in your family, arts, entertainment, education, um, wherever you go, that we're equipping people on how to translate that and, and bring heaven into the place that he's called you into for solutions, for transformation, and to create heaven on earth. And we teach that in a very pragmatic, practical way. And it's a two-year program. So you could check out roaracademy.org for that. Awesome. You guys got to jump on it. It's an amazing opportunity. It's an amazing school. Um, I, I believe I'm even a part of it. Um, you know, are. I'm one of the teachers on there. So you guys want to go yeah. on there just so you can hear me more, <laughs> right? No, uh, but That's right. The, the revelation that's carried in the school is so powerful and it's transforming lives. You know, Tony had told me that some of the students that, get, that go into this, they're like, I didn't even know what I was created for. And this school's helped me figure out my lane, what God's called me into, where I'm called to actually bring influence. And as people have aligned themselves, it's like things begin to open for them and, and, you know, their businesses explode, all kinds of crazy things have happened. And so it's, it's definitely a school you guys want to check out and participate in. And uh, Tony, if, if people want to connect with you, um, do you have social media or website that people can uh, connect with you and follow you? Yeah, I mean, they could connect with me through roaracademy.org. Um, I also have an Instagram, which is uh, Tony Kim backwards. So it would be Mickey, not M-I-K-Y-N-O-T um, is my Instagram. And then I'm on Facebook as well, Tony Kim. You could just type in Tony Kim Roar and uh, there should be groups. And I want to invite everybody who feel a sense to be called as a reformer, to want to grow in community and connect and build together into this uh, private group on Facebook called Roar Connect. And so you could go on there and ask for uh, you to be um, you know, included or to be accepted and we'll accept you into the community. And we'll have people like Daniel Black interview. We have these reformers table chats talking about reformation and talking about God of all of the life. And we have a lot of fun doing it. Come on. It's incredible. It's incredible. So you guys check it out. Thank you so much, Tony, for joining us today. It's been such a blessing. And uh, seriously, I'm really grateful. And um, and thank you guys for joining and listening today. We're just so grateful for you as listeners. You've been so amazing. If you really enjoy what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe, share the podcast with your friends, and don't forget you're valuable and you're precious. We'll see you next time on Where Love Always Wins. You've been listening to Where Love Always Wins, a Love Fest Global production. For more information, go to lovefestglobal.com or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Where Love Always Wins. 